0: Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We are located in Collinsville, Virginia. We are glad you joined us today. If you head over to our webpage, you can find more ways to serve, more sermons like this, as well as opportunities to support this ministry through giving. We pray God's blessing on the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Amen.
1: We had stood at the foot of the cross until our Lord died, and they took away his body. My own tears mingled with those of his mother, Mary. John would take her home and see that she rested. There was nothing more we could do, for the sun had gone down, and now it was the Sabbath. Joseph asked for the Lord's body and would see that it was placed in his tomb. We would make our, the Sabbath to prepare him for burial at the proper time. The Sabbath had become the saddest day of our lives. The Lord had promised to return, but did we dare believe? As the sun just began to rise on the third day after the crucifixion, we made our way to the tomb bringing spices to anoint his body. Just as we came nearby, there was suddenly a great earthquake and we fell to our knees in fear. There stood an angel. The angel was of the Lord and the angel rolled the stone from the opening. His faith and clothing so brilliantly white blinded us. The soldiers guarding the tomb shook with fear and fell like they were dead. The angels spoke, saying, Don't be frightened. I know why you are here. You're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said he would. Come and see the place where his body was lying. We looked inside the tomb. He indeed was gone, but where? Had someone stolen his body? But the angel assured us that he was alive and said, you must go and tell his disciples that he is risen. We hesitated. Could it be true? We were still badly frightened and filled with wonder. We ran away, believing, but not believing. But we wanted to obey the angel's command. Suddenly, Jesus stood before us, and we fell at his feet and tried to worship him. But Jesus said, don't be frightened. Go and tell my brothers to leave at once for Galilee and I will meet them there. It's true, rejoice, he is alive. Jesus is risen, our Lord and Savior is here with us. Am I guilty? Yes. Am I forgiven? Yes, oh yes.
0: Our scripture lesson for today comes from Mark's Gospel, the 16th chapter, beginning in verse 1 through 8. Hear these words today of the evangelist Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, has already been rolled back. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and they fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid friends this is the words of god for you and me the people of god thanks be to god let us pray meditations of all of our may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you o lord our rock and our redeemer i ask that you would place the cross before me that none would see me but you in your grace alone for we ask these things in the name of the one who was the word who is the word and who was the word still to come amen 40 days went by very fast wouldn't you agree it seems like we just just started this Lenten journey if I feel like I'm not quite there yet and my own practices to be able to receive this good news. And to be honest, sometimes I feel like I should have done a little bit more to prepare myself for such a special day. And yet, in the midst of my own regrets, in the midst of all of our wonderings about this day, all of us come and we are surprised by hope. We weren't ready, and yet Jesus still shows up. I was trying to find an appropriate time to give credit where credit is due, and the services that we've had recently were uh, not the time to do so, as, and they were in were kind of a reflective uh, manner. But I do want to say, um, for those that helped with our Maundy Thursday drama um, can you just raise your hand? I'm not going to make you stand, but if you could just raise your hand because you did something very special for the congregation. Um, And we want to say thank you for giving your time and your talents um, for that Maundy Thursday. I want to say thank you um, to the choir for singing Maundy Thursday, for singing on Good Friday. And I want to say thank you uh, to Ruth Herring. Um, As always, you go above and beyond. Thank you so much for directing that, for setting things up, Um, for us on this special day. And I also want to say thank you to David Gaylor. It's been a tremendous blessing to do this sermon series with you. Um, So for that, all of those people that have been mentioned, if we could just say in a round of applause, uh, thank you, because it made this a better experience. Now with that being said, let us turn our eyes back to Jesus. Because, friends, we have been journeying for a while now. We have uh, gone through at least six sermons on this last week of Jesus' life. We've typed countless words, more than Mark himself thought necessary. And now it all draws to this climactic end. Jesus, who we have been following during the last week of his life, has been laid into the tomb. As many of Caesar's would-be challengers have before and as many still would to come. And as Jesus draws his last breath upon the cross, we see and the world sees the reality of this man who had drawn the masses to hear him speak, teach, and even heal. You see, Jesus was a man who preached A new kingdom. He called this kingdom the Kingdom of God. And it was to be like no other kingdom the world had ever seen. It was a kingdom in which the last would be first, and that the first of all shall be servant of all. It was a kingdom that Jesus spoke about in which the meek, the humble, The peacemakers would receive the fullness of his kingdom's gifts. It was a kingdom not made by hands, but eternal in the heavens. Jesus and his kingdom were to come, and they were to rival that of the domination systems of Rome. You all know these systems because these systems are still our systems. You see, whereas Rome was ruled by the opinions of a few upper elites, whereas Rome sought that the poor and the marginalized should be exploited for the gain of the few, and whereas the religious establishment of the day legitimized every single bit of it, through their enmeshment with these elites, Jesus stood in stark contrast, holding their toes to the line concerning the kingdom of God that was already breaking into their midst. Jesus challenged the legitimacy of this way of life. And he offered a counter way of life to the way in which we all have been accustomed. He had built up a following. He had a crowd ready at his disposal, ready for a revolution. And yet, as the stone was rolled in front of his tomb, everyone, even if they did so reluctantly, agreed, Jesus and his kingdom must be a hoax. Jesus' kingdom isn't the one in which we need to follow. The meek and the mild will never inherit anything. The peacemakers only lead themselves to death. Rome will always win. You see, the way of life in which Jesus called us to doesn't lead us to a new and peaceable kingdom devoid of these domination systems that rule our day. No, Jesus' way leads to gruesome, tragic, and finite death. They take his body from the tomb. They put it from the Cross. They put it in a tomb that wasn't even his own. They roll the stone over the entrance and friends, the story is over. There's nothing left to see. It's as if the cliche scene from any action movie where the two sides are fearlessly battling one another. Of course, one side's leader has to die. And as if it was in slow motion... His army looks upon his dead body. They drop their swords, they lower their heads, and they agonizingly walk away in defeat. Caesar wins, Jesus loses. There's nothing left to do but go on with our lives. I don't know about you, but that was my Saturday yesterday. I just kind of went on with my life. We sat in here, we listened to David eloquently speak on the Good Friday service, and then on Saturday, what did I do? I cut grass, went Easter egg hunting, cleaned up the house a little bit, watched the kids destroy the house a little bit, Went to Walmart, got more stuff so that my kids could have Easter baskets. Life goes on. The tomb doors have been shut. Friends, we're not the only ones that do this. This is evidenced by the stories that Mark tells of the first Easter morning. Three women come to the place where they had seen Jesus' body laid to rest a few days earlier. They come and memorialize his death by anointing his body. It would be the equivalent of today of someone passing away and we giving them a memorial graveside service or visiting the grave of a loved one and changing out the flowers that hadn't been changed in quite some time. It was simply a token of remembrance. And in each of these acts, those that go to the place of the dead they go there to expect precisely that, dead people who are dead. And as the women approach the tomb, their minds are captivated by the only question that they thought was the most challenging aspect of the day's events. When we get there, who is going to roll away the stone from the tomb for us? Now, friends, I'm not really sure how long of a walk it took for Mar- the Marys in Salome to get to this tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Perhaps it was a 10 minute walk. Perhaps they had traveled for over an hour. Either way, imagine the level of planning that would have went into such a question as they walked. Perhaps as they walked and they thought to themselves, who will roll away this tomb? Perhaps they looked for a sturdy stick that they might use as a lever that they could wedge underneath the stone to roll it back. Perhaps as they traveled they might look to see if there were any others that they might recruit to the service of mustering enough strength to push away the stone. Now of course I'm doing a little bit of speculating from my own experiences of trying to solve problems that lie ahead. You know this. We know what kind of problems lay ahead, and then we meticulously spend our time running through all the possible scenarios to ensure that when we get there, things will work out exactly as we had planned. But little did they know that all of that preparation would be for naught. Christ has literally rendered their question and the way they spent their time trying to solve it as irrelevant. Because when they arrived, the problem that laid ahead of them was already solved. The stone was already moved and the tomb already lied open. And these women had their paradigms shifted. Everything they thought that they had come there to do, all of their plans had been thwarted. So much so that the encounter that lied ahead of them would be experienced as fearful and shocking. Because they came to the tomb with their own answers to a question that never needed to be asked. And as a result, they were not able to be in a position to receive this new information because they were not able to let go of what they had always thought to be true. Namely, that when we come to gravesides, we expect to find dead people there. You see, when we come to the grave, we ask questions pertaining to graves. We don't come thinking that someone has been dug up in the middle of the night and moved somewhere else, let alone do we come to a grave and ask the question is it possible that this person is raised from the dead? That, my friends, is beyond our comprehension. So we never ask those kinds of questions. We only stick to what's possible and right in front of us. They were not able to receive new information because they couldn't let go of what was old. Namely, that Jesus should be in the tomb. So as Mark tells the story, as they entered the tomb, they saw the young man dressed in a white robe and he was sitting on the right side. And he said to them, friends, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. At that point, I would say you're exactly right. That's the one I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see the dead Jesus. And it's as if this young man was to say to them, You saw it with your own eyes. You saw as the fullness of Caesar's power was executed upon him. You witnessed the weight and the gravity of his kingdom crush him. You saw him die, and you're here to see him dead. But you need to let go of that thinking. For he has been raised, and he is not here. Go ahead, look for yourself. Here's the place they laid him, but don't dwell here too long. Because you need to go. You need to get out of this place of the dead and go back to the land of the living. For Christ has already gone in front of you. And in all of their fear concerning this new paradigm of realizing that what they had thought to always be true, namely that dead people always stay dead, they weren't able to let go of it. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them, and friends, they said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. You see, this is the way the original story of Mark ends. It ends in such an unsatisfactory way. I don't know about you, but as I've been journeying with Jesus these last week of his life, I thought that it would end in a different way. Something much nicer. Something much more hope-filled. But no. No. Mark finds it necessary to end his gospel by saying, Those who come to look for the living, look for the dead among the living, will only find fear and terror. Jesus has been raised. Now, Jesus' resurrection does not suggest to us, at least in Mark's gospel, that Jesus' action is now able to whisk us away into some land far, far away. No, Jesus' resurrection is much more than that. Jesus' resurrection reminds all of us who look to the tomb and say, dead people, stay dead. Jesus' resurrection reminds us that we got it all wrong. That we saw the cross backwards. We thought it was a sign of Jesus' defeat. We thought that it was a sign that Rome was actually in charge. We thought that the cross was not a sign of victory. We thought that the wrong person had won. We were fooled. We were tricked into thinking that Caesar and his kingdom and all of his power, in all of his might, could possibly defeat God and God's kingdom. But as St. Paul reminds us, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The resurrection reminds us that Jesus is Lord. His kingdom is the way. And Caesar and whatever Caesar has to offer is nothing. Jesus' resurrection reminds us that everything Jesus said, not just his life was vindicated, but so too was his teaching. That in this kingdom it would be a kingdom in which the meek and the mild and the peacemakers would inherit. It is a kingdom that we can stake our honor and our allegiance upon by saying that if we want to be first of all, we must become servant of all. It's a kingdom that demands our allegiance today. But friends, I'm with you. I'm with you for the fear that perhaps this statement might not be true. That Christ perhaps didn't vindicate his kingdom over and against the kingdoms of this world. And because of that, each and every one of us continues to have the propensity outside of this Easter Sunday to continue to remain silent and say nothing to anyone for we too are perhaps afraid. You see, Holy Week as a whole and not just a single day of it, invites us to an alternative way to process through this world. The resurrection gives us the possibility of asking the question that we might follow the one who sits high on a steed, whose reign is perpetuated by domination and violence. Or perhaps, we might just think this story is true And if this story is true, we might change our allegiance and we might change our procession and we might follow the one on the colt that leads us to a new path of personal transformation as we journey with this risen Christ. The one who has defeated Caesar. The one who has defeated the ways and also vindicated the ways of sin and death. Every year, we make this same journey. And every year on Easter Sunday, we start back to Palm Sunday. He is alive. So which procession are we in? The one whose ways have been found to be not. Or the one who says that death cannot hold me. For I am in the process of making all things new. May we be an Easter people. And may we say together, Alleluia, Alleluia, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. We come before you, O God, and we offer all of ourselves to you as we transition in this service to a time in which we stand before you with everything that we have which is in reality nothing, for it is all yours, and we simply come to give back. We ask your continued presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.